0: Today, I want to talk to you about revival chasing, revival chasing God's purpose for the mountaintop. That's what we'll discuss today. Um, On February 8th, I believe, uh, there was an ordinary chapel service took place at Asbury University, something they do weekly. And uh, at the end, there was a time of prayer, uh, like often services have, and some college students came up and they prayed, and they just didn't stop praying. They just kept on praying and praying and praying. And that's turned into this uh, amazing event that is taking place in Asbury to this day. How many days is it now? 11 days, going strong, hadn't hadn't, hadn't finished. And uh, thousands of people from all over the world are there every day. And it's got national news, maybe even international news. And it has made some huge ripple effects uh, all throughout this region, I know many of you have gone to that, and you've been so blessed by it. And I'm so excited to hear more of your stories and testimonies about it. Powerful, powerful, unique opportunity, and I am so grateful that's happening. Let me start there. Uh, this is exactly what we as Christians have been longing for. We've been praying for because we all know that our world is in a sorry condition, right? Uh, because of sin, because of worldliness, because in many ways our world has rejected Christ, our King, our Lord and our Savior, then our world is just increasingly godless. It's increasingly bad things are happening. And so we need some kind of a spark to turn this thing around. And so this is the kind of thing that we've been praying for, a move from God that's undeniable. And so I pray that it continues. And I pray that it spreads. And I pray that every knee bow, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's my prayer. Amen? But I do have a concern. Specifically, what I want to talk about today is revival chasing. Now, I know many of you have gone to this event, and you have had an incredible experience, and I am so glad. I praise God for the moments that you've had and the change that the Lord has made in you because of your time there. I'm making plans to go. If I can't go this afternoon, I'm going tomorrow. And so, Again, I want you to hear me say that I've also seen uh, from people in this area social media posts of people doing um, what I'm what I'm calling a revival chasing and so they're they're making the trip to Asbury as a spiritual tourist and uh, you know they're chasing this mountaintop experience kind of like you would go to the SEC tournament or a big uh, concert and they're they're chasing this experience and Um, one guy in particular, I saw a post on social media. There was two posts back-to-back within hours of each other. The first post was a post of this guy going to the Asbury Revival, and he had several pictures, and he said, said, this is a a life-changing event. He said, if you really want to feel something, then you need to go to the Asbury Revival. It's life-changing. So that was the first post. A couple hours later, same guy, same feed. He says, my life has been made. I just scored tickets to my favorite artist show. Hashtag shoot lort, S-H-E-W-L-O-R-T, shoe lort, emoji peach, emoji peach, emoji peach with a picture of a lady holding a guitar in some very tight pants. Okay, so these are back-to-back events. All right, so now let me say this. I don't I I am glad that this man went to the revival. I think that everybody that wants to go should go. I encourage him to go and I hope that when they go they go and post on social media so that other people that need to go go. Okay? So hear me say that. That's not my concern that he went, that he posted on social media. None of that stuff's my concern. This is my concern. It is so easy to chase an experience and miss Jesus. It is so easy to chase a moment like this and miss the whole point, okay? And that's what I don't want for us today. So this is my goal today. I want to explore the biblical patterns of these mountaintop experiences so that we do not miss whatever the Lord is doing in this time. We don't miss it. Uh, My scripture reading, uh, it, it may appear like it doesn't have anything to do with revival, and they may appear disconnected, but I think as we go through, you'll see how they're related. Let's all stand together. I want to read to you two passages. Exodus chapter 35 and Acts chapter 2. The words will be on the screen, but I encourage you to turn there in your Bibles. Acts chapter 35, uh, Exodus chapter 35, Acts chapter 2. Then the whole Israelite community withdrew from Moses' presence, and everyone who was willing and whose heart moved them came and brought an offering to the Lord for the work of the tent of meeting, for all its services and, and for the sacred garments. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many signs and wonders performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to one another who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity where we can gather around your word. Uh, you make a promise to us that faith comes by hearing. And so, Lord, we I am going to do the very best I can to proclaim your goodness and your glory, to preach your word today. And my prayer is that you will increase our faith. Uh, Lord, we are all here, our eyes are closed, our head is bowed because we revere you, we honor you, we worship you, we long for more of you. All of us in this room, we're hungry for you. And so, Lord, by your word, sanctify us. By your word, purify our hearts. Bring us, Lord, into conformity to your image and your will for your glory and for our good. As you stand there with your eyes closed and your head bowed, take a moment and pray for the people in this room. All sorts of different people here today. We all have one thing in common. We love Jesus. So pray for your brothers and sisters. Take a moment, pray for those who may be watching online. There's people that are sick and hurting right now. They, they could use a blessing from the Lord. There are people that may wander upon this message after the fact. And uh, they need Jesus. So pray they hear the gospel through this message. Take a moment, pray for our city, for our county, for our state, for our country, and for our world, that it may be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Take a moment and pray for yourself. That if a revival is starting, that it starts right here in you. Father, speak to us. We're ready to hear what you have to say. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Now, when we think about revival, uh, we we often think about a planned service, a planned event from a church, maybe involving a tent of some sort, uh, a a lot of music, uh, oftentimes very emotionally uh, driven music, uh, a lot of preaching, oftentimes very emotionally driven preaching, and oftentimes life-changing moments. How many of you have experienced something like that? I know I have. And I praise God for those moments. I really do. Those were those are much needed moments. Um, but this is what we, we can't do. In everything, we can't let our experience dictate our worldview. Because we are people of the Bible. And so we always got to go back to the Bible. And we gotta let the Bible, we gotta let the Bible interpret our world. We gotta let the Bible guide us because experiences come and go. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word. Will never pass away. So we always got to come back to the Bible. And so this is what I did this week. As I, I'm just kind of, I'm overwhelmed. I'm blown away by what I'm seeing coming out of Asbury, and I'm very prayerful and hopeful about it. But again, I don't want us to dismiss it. What God is doing. And so this week I investigated. I prayed. I talked to some people. I did a lot of studying um, the mountaintop experiences in the Bible. And and what I saw were seven elements, seven common elements, a pattern to revival. And the pattern goes something like this. Uh, We got a, I think we'll have a a graphic for it. A, a a rebellious culture, a faithful remnant seeking God. God appears in unmistakable and unsettling ways. God calls his people to repentance and obedience. The people renew their commitment to God. It results in a Christ centered community that advances the kingdom of God. Now, this is what I want to do. Let's leave that up there. Uh, we got, okay, take a screenshot of this. Take, get your phone out, take a screenshot of this. I, I put this together too late to put it in a bulletin. I apologize. I want you to have access to it because what I'm going to do is over the next few minutes, I'm going to tell you three mountaintop experiences from the scriptures. And this is what I want you to do your homework is to look at these patterns and see if you can see the pattern in these stories, okay? Rebellious culture, faithful remnant, hungry for God. God appears in an unmistakable and unsettling way. God calls his people to repentance and obedience. The people renew their commitment to God, resulting in a Christ-centered community that advances the kingdom of God. So that's the pattern. I want to tell you three stories. Here's the first story, Moses on the mountaintop. Moses on the mountaintop. Okay, the context of this story, Israel, uh, God's chosen people had recently, recently been freed from slavery in Egypt uh, in a miraculous way. God was so gracious to them to draw them, bring them, provide for them away out of Egypt. But uh, they're uh, in the wilderness, they're about to make their way through the wilderness to the promised land, and they're acting like total turds. Do you remember this story? They're not acting, they're acting like little spoiled brats on a road trip. We're hungry. When are we going to get there? We should have just stayed home, all this stuff. And uh, then God sends the Ten Commandments uh, to Moses. And before Moses can even make it down the mountain, they've already broken the Ten Commandments. You remember this. They made this golden calf. they worth spent, the whole deal. Okay, so here's the context of the story. Uh, God is very frustrated with these people. He says this, Exodus chapter 33, verse five. For the Lord had said to Moses, tell the Israelites, you are a stiff-necked people. If I were to go with you, even for a moment, I might destroy you. Now take off your ornaments and I will decide what to do with you. So God has put the Israelites in the corner. He's like, I'm not sure what I'm gonna do with you yet. Moses, though, he remains faithful to God. Everybody else is disobeying God. Moses remains faithful and he intercedes on the behalf of, of the Israelites. He's praying, Lord, please have mercy on them. And then Moses prays a prayer. And this is the prayer that I believe sparks revival. If we're looking for revival, this is the prayer that we are praying. Moses says to the Lord, please show me your glory. God is so gracious. I've told you this time and time again, you would not know God unless God came down. You cannot get to God. God has to come to you. And so God is so gracious that he says to Moses, okay, I'm going to show you my glory. But it's very dangerous for you to see my glory. That's why we shouldn't just like uh, willy-nilly enter into these very sacred and holy moments where God is doing something. You shouldn't just willy-nilly enter into a time of communion where Jesus says, my presence, uh, this is my blood, this is my body. You shouldn't willy-nilly take that because it's dangerous for sinful worldly people to encounter the glory of God. Okay? And so God says to Moses, "I'm going to show you my glory, but we got to take some precautions. I'm going to I'm going to put you in the cleft of this rock, and I'm going to pass by you, but as I pass by you, I'm going to put my hand in front of you and I'm going to block your view, and then just as I'm about to go on by you, I'm going to uncover and you're going to see just a glimpse of my glory." And so that's what happens. God is so gracious. And he comes down to Moses, and he puts him in the cleft of the rock, puts his hand in front of the face, he passes by, and Moses gets to see just a glimpse of the glory of the Lord. And and just a glimpse is enough to bring Moses to his knees. Exodus chapter 34, verse 8, And Moses quickly bowed down his head toward the earth and worshipped. Because when we encounter the glory of God, our reflex response will be to bow down to him. Because he is that amazing. He is that overwhelming. So Moses is on his face. He's worshiping God. And then God says this. Exodus chapter 34 verse 10. And he said, behold, I'm making a covenant. Before all your people I will do marvels. Such as, I have, not, such as have not been created in all the earth or in any nation. And all the people among you who, are, who you are all all the people among whom you are shall see the work of the Lord for it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. Verse 11, observe or obey what I command you this day. Moses spends 40 days with God on the mountaintop where God gives him once again for the second time, the 10 commandments on stone tablets. And then God instructs Moses to come back down the mountain. Moses gets to the bottom of the mountain, and his face, the Bible says his face is glowing. Because he spent time with the Lord, he saw the glory of the Lord. The, the glory of the Lord is absorbed by Moses' face, and now he's reflecting the glory of God to all these people. It totally freaks him out. And so they, they take off running. They're like scattering from Moses. Most like He explains the thing. He veils his face. He's like, come back. I got something to tell you. And then they came back and Moses says, listen, you got to observe. You got to be careful to observe God's commands. That's what you need to get from us. God. Observe God's commands. And so the people agree. They're like, yes, because they had just seen this huge glory cloud. this mountain they've seen Moses' face. And so they're compelled now by the glory of the Lord. And they're going to do what God has commanded them to do. And this is the result. This is what I read to you earlier, they band together They pull all the resources together, offering all their skill to build the tabernacle. Now, the tabernacle is, in essence, God's house on the earth. Let me read it to you again. Exodus chapter 35, verse 20. The whole Israelite community withdrew from Moses' presence, and everyone who was willing and whose heart moved, they came and brought an offering to the Lord for the work on the tent of of, of meeting, for all of its services, and for all the sacred uh, garments. So they... They pulled all the resources together. They built a house for God, and then they set up camp. And the way they set up camp is they had the tabernacle, God's house in the center of the camp, and then they all put their tents around the tabernacle. The tabernacle was at the center of the community. Here's a picture of it. This was taken with the iPhone 1, so it's a little blurry. Okay. So they started off stiff-necked people. They have a mountaintop experience with God because Moses is hungry for God, says, show me your glory. They have a mountaintop experience with God. God says, repent and obey my commands, gives them the Ten Commandments. They say, okay, we'll do that. And it results in them building their community around the house of God until they literally become a God-centered community, and then they begin their journey to the promised land. So that's story one. Story two. Jesus and his disciples on the mountaintop. You can read about this in Matthew chapter 16 and 17. Here's the context of this story. Jesus had just told his disciples, I am about to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be arrested and tortured and killed. And uh, you're going to have to watch it. And Peter speaks up and he says, no, Lord. Peter, who had just told Jesus, you are the son, uh, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, he just told Peter, Jesus that, Peter had, and now he's saying, no, Lord, he's rebuking Jesus, okay? That's not smart. I wouldn't encourage you to do that. And so Jesus says to Peter, he calls him Satan, and he says, go on somewhere. Isn't that what he does? He said, get behind me, Satan. You don't have in, in mind the things of God. You have in mind the things of men. And so there, there's a people that Jesus is leading, and they're going to be a little bit cantankerous, They're not really wanting to go with God's plan. And so what does Jesus do? He begins to climb up a mountain. Well, Peter, James, and John, they follow Jesus up to the top of the mountain. And so they're seeking after Jesus. Okay, what's Jesus up to? They get to the top of the mountain. And then Jesus begins to glow, like radiate. He unveils his glory. It's a little bit different than Moses Moses is reflecting the glory of God and said, Jesus is emanating the glory of God because he is God in the flesh. And so uh, Peter, he looks around and he sees now that Elijah and Moses have made an appearance. And so it's Jesus, it's Elijah, it's Moses. Jesus is glowing from the inside out. And Peter's like, this is amazing. We should just stay here. I'm going to build some tents and we'll just live here. Well, about that time, God, his, his voice thunders from heaven. And immediately, Peter, James, and John, they fall on their face, and they're terrified. They're scared to death. And God speaks from this cloud that's in the mountain. He says this, Matthew chapter 17, verse 5, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And then what does he say? Listen to him. Obey my son, Jesus. Wherever he tells you to go, you go. Whatever he tells you to do, you do. Listen to Jesus. And just like that, it's over. Only lasted, let's say, 30 minutes. Wasn't a long, drawn-out thing. And then they made their way. Jesus led them down the mountain. They get to the bottom of the mountain. First thing they encounter is what? Who knows this story? Bible nerds. Demon. There's a demon right at the bottom of the count. Jesus has to cast this demon out. And then this whole community of Christ followers that have been waiting at the bottom of the mountain, they all rally around Jesus and Jesus leads them to Jerusalem and eventually his cross. Okay, so that's story number two. We got a stiff-necked people. They're reluctant to fulfill God's plan for their lives. They have a mountaintop experience where they recommit to following Christ. They gather around him, and then they begin the journey to the cross. That's story number two. Here's story number three. The apostles on the mountaintop. This is found in Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2. Here's the context of this story chosen people of God, the Israelites, had rejected their Messiah and their Lord, Jesus Christ. They crucified him. And uh, you've got this faithful remnant of people who followed Jesus all the way to the cross. They saw the resurrected Jesus. They, they worship Jesus as Lord, um, but they're scared. And so they're in this upper room and they're just praying. They're just praying every day, Lord, will you please do something? Will you please make a difference in this situation? Well, then uh, we read about Acts chapter 1, verse 14. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. Together, the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. So they're all together, they're praying. Well, then one day, on the day of Pentecost, as they're praying, the Bible says a mighty wind from heaven rushes down. And then what looks like fire from heaven, it falls on these disciples. And they begin to speak in in a language that was unnatural to them. What most theologians believe is they're starting to speak languages that are real languages, but they're foreign languages to them. And uh, it says that all this commotion, all the loud noise, it attracts a huge crowd of people. So now there's thousands and thousands of people that have gathered around these apostles and these disciples that have been touched by the Holy Spirit. They've seen the fire fall down from heaven. They heard the wind, and so they're all gathered around. The Bible says they're bewildered. They're amazed. They're blown away. And then in Acts chapter 2, verse 37, after Peter preached the gospel to them, it says this, Now this whole crowd of people, that were part of the people that rejected Christ, now they say, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what should we do? What shall we do? How should we respond? This is Peter's response, Acts chapter 2, verse 38. And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. In verse 40, it says... And with many words, Peter bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourself from this corrupt generation. Peter says, repent and believe. Turn away from your sin. Turn to Christ. Obey Jesus. How do they respond? Acts chapter 2, verse 41. So all these people who were part of the crowd that rejected Christ, stiff-necked people, how do they respond? Those who received his words were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. But that's not the end of the story. Very next verse, what was the end result? Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, to prayers. All came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, uh, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God, having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. So that's story number three. Started off, huge crowd of people, they're hostile to Christ, they're skeptical of Jesus' people, they encounter the Holy Spirit, they hear the gospel, they repent, They are baptized, and they form the first Christian church, and the Lord added to their number daily. Do you see the pattern? In all three of these stories, do you see the pattern? Stiff-necked people. Somebody is seeking God. God shows up, and he literally shakes the hell out of the people. That's what he does. And, And their experience with the glory of God, they're overwhelmed by it, And they changed their ways. They were headed this direction. They repent and then they turn towards God and they start following Jesus. And as they follow Jesus, there's a Christian community that is built. A Christ centered community is resulted. And this Christ centered community advances the kingdom of God in this dark world. Do you see the pattern? Okay. Let me say something about these moments they're rare. I've been following Jesus for 25 years now. You don't see these moments like what we're seeing right now. You don't see it. True? Because you can't conjure God. Do you hear me? You can't conjure. He's not a spirit. You know, that it's a Ouija board, and we're just going gonna to come in here, we're going to sing the right songs, we're going to pray the right prayers, we're going to read the right scriptures, and then God's going to show up. God shows up when God wants to show up. You can't conjure him. You ask him, and you pray, and you seek him, but he's going to show up. He said to Moses, I have mercy on whom I have mercy. You can't conjure him, okay? A revival, whatever this is, is an extraordinary means of grace. And so because these moments are rare, you also have to understand they're fleeting moments. They don't last. Moses was on the mountaintop for 40 days. Jesus, Peter, James, and John, they were on the mountaintop for minutes. The apostles on Mount Zion, empowered by the Holy Spirit, it lasted a day. This Asbury thing won't last forever. So we have to be careful not to miss this opportunity. Regardless of what anybody's reservations have about this event, God is doing something unique in this moment. I think we can all agree on that. And so we have to, as as part of this community, this global church, the universal church, we have to be receptive to what God is doing. And this is what I know, the devil wants you to miss the point. That's why at the bottom of every mountaintop experience you have, there's going to be a demon waiting on you. How many of you have experienced that? On the other side of your baptism, there's going to be some sort of overwhelming temptation to try and trip you up. On the other side of every time you come into the cross and leaving something, coming to the altar and leaving something at the cross, on the other side of that is going to be some sort of a frustration. It's going to be some sort of something the devil's going to try and use to steal this moment from you. I remember one of my first like mountaintop experiences. I went to youth camp. I was probably 17 years old. How many of you went to youth camp? It's like, it's incredible. It's like I want to live here. Let's just stay here at youth camp forever. I came back. Uh, and we got back on a Sunday, and so I went to Sunday night church. I'm fired up, man. I am ready to just shout and scream and dance and just just love on Jesus and worship Jesus. Well, I go into this this church, and I got so frustrated with my church family because here I am. I'm fired up, and here they are. Just knots on a log. The whole service, and they're singing. This is how they're singing. And I was so fired up. I'm like, Do you know who you're worshiping? And so at the end of service, I make my way up to the front. I'm going for the microphone. Here I am, a 17 year old snot nosed kid. I've been a Christian for like three months. I'm going to set these people straight. Thank God, an elder stopped me. He's like, What are you doing? just like that, this beautiful thing that God was doing in me, the devil stole it. He used my flesh and he stole it just like that. You see? Because I should have come back and I should have been so graciously sharing this joy and this passion. And instead I had a spirit of judgmentalism. I had a spirit of pride and division, just like that. The devil's going to try and distract you to make you miss a point. And if he can't distract you with some sort of temptation, you know what else he'll try and distract you with? Chasing that feeling. Right? See, what the devil really would have wanted is for Peter, James, and John to stay up on the mountaintop. Because as long as the saints are on the mountaintop, then they're no threat to the demons down in the valley. Do you see that? It is possible as a Christian to be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. And many of us, that's what we're just chasing these experiences in these moments. And then we miss the point, point, point when we have the moments. We miss what God was trying to do in the moment because we were looking for a feeling. So let me say this. Revival isn't the goal. Okay. Let me say it again. Revival... The mountaintop experience isn't the goal. If it were the goal, Jesus would have let Peter build a tent. Because they had it all right there. They had Jesus in his glory. They had the law, Moses. They had the prophets, Elijah. They had a heavenly smoke show. You talk about fog machines in church. They had a heavenly smoke show. Jesus is emanating light. They don't need any, like uh, you know, these stage lights. They don't need any of that. Jesus is here. All they needed was some Chris Tomlin. They've been set. <laughs> let's just stay here forever. But what happened? The smoke dissipates. The light fades. Jesus says, "Hey, get up, and let's go back down the mountain." Jesus led him down the mountain. God told him. He pulled, He pulls his hand back. Moses sees his glory. They have a conversation 40 days, and God's like, okay, it's time for you to go back down the mountain. The apostles, they're empowered by the Holy Spirit. They're speaking in tongues. Thousands of people are coming to the Lord. Then he said, okay, well, I need you to leave Mount Zion, Jerusalem. I need you to go to the ends of the earth. The mountaintop experience isn't the destination. It is a scenic stop on the way to the promised land. It is a necessary experience that is meant to empower you to face the darkness, to carry your cross, to love your neighbor, and to love God. And so this is is what I've been convicted of, not just recently, but for a long time now. Revivalism, or this like emotionally chasing these mountaintop experiences, has made us miss the mark in the American church. Now, I don't have time to get into the history of revivalism, but it's, it's an American-centric think. It's a Western culture-centric think. And I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but this is what I'm saying. We have become so obsessed with it that it's made us miss the point of what God was trying to do in it. We've been conditioned to think the height of Christian experience is a powerful worship service. And so that's why. Our our Christian efforts are so focused on what happens on Sunday. That's why you've got so many people in this country, and because they go to church on Sunday, they think they've done their Christian duty for the week. It's a mistake. We're so tempted to measure success by how engaged people are in singing or how many people come to the altar or how many people we have come into a service. We're so so tempted to gauge success by these types of things. And we've been programmed to think that Christian maturity is a response. It's it's emotionalism. That's Christian maturity. Christian maturity is raising our hands in worship. We've been trained to think that. Okay, they're they're raising their hands. They're very mature. Some of us have been raised to think that Christian maturity is running around the sanctuary, you know, during a worship service. Well, that's Christian maturity. That's how you know God's got his hand on their life. We've been raised at Christian. We've been programmed. Christian maturity is going to the altar time after time. And listen, Christian maturity is not any of those things. Christian maturity is to love the Lord your God with all your heart. It's to love your neighbor as yourself. It's to go and make disciples. Now, listen, if we got to run around the sanctuary every Sunday in order to love God and love people and make disciples, if we got to do that, then bring your running shoes next week. If that's what it takes. But running around the sanctuary, coming and kneeling at the altar, putting your hands up in worship, that isn't the goal. It's a means to an end. God's doing something in this. God's doing something in this. But this isn't the end of it. It's just the beginning. So let's not settle, my friends, for Asbury when God is calling us to be the city on a hill. Don't settle for revival service when what God is after ultimately is repentance from sin. Don't settle for personal experience when God is calling you into a Christian community. You see, so many of us, because it's like, okay, I went to church, and I sank, and I felt something. I cried tears. I felt a release. And God's like, yes, I blessed you. And then we leave it at that. And God's like, I blessed you so you could better be a part of the faith family. I blessed you so you could better bear my image in this dark and dying world. That's why I blessed you. That's why I took that burden off of you. That's why I gave you that experience, because I'm trying to grow you into a better instrument for me. And we miss it. Don't settle for good feelings when God wants you to have Christ in his fullness and his bride, the church. Don't settle for lights and fog that bring you to your knees when God wants you to reflect his glory and bring the nations to him. Did you know that the people that are organizing, overseeing the Asbury thing, do you know they're not calling it a revival? Did you know that? They're not. Now, they have like hundreds of years, like over 100 years of experience of these types of events. Uh, it seems like this is something that happens like every 30 years there, and, and they have people that have put a lot of time and prayer and thought and study into this, so they know better than me what to call a revival. Amen? And so they're not calling it a revival. What they're calling it is an outpouring. They said, we can't call it a revival for another five or 10 years when we see The fruit. So this is what I think. I think that we can all agree something unique is happening in this, right? We can all agree, and the world has become enamored by it. Do you know that? You see that, like, the world, this has got the attention of the whole world on Christianity. On, on, they're getting closer to getting to Christ, but right now they're just focused on us weird Christians, and they're like, what are they doing? I don't understand this. This is a unique moment. Okay, so let's say this is an outpouring. Let's all agree. This is what we need to do. We need to pray for the revival fruit. Let's pray for the next generation that they be cut to the heart, that they turn away from worldliness, that they are given a heart for Jesus Christ and his bride, the church. Let's pray for that. Let's pray for the church. That we be unified under the headship of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. That we put off all malice and deceit and hypocrisy. That we love one another with a pure heart. That we become the light of the world. That we become the salt of the earth. That we become the city on a hill that God is giving us these moments together to try and make us. Let's pray for that. Let's pray for our world. That the foundations of our world are shaken that souls are saved, that lives are changed, that the culture is redeemed, that every tribe, every tongue, every nation praise the name of Jesus Christ that is worthy of all honor and glory and praise forever and ever, amen. Let's pray that. And let's pray that if there's any revival fruit, that it starts right here. Right here in me. Are you receptive to that? Let me pray for you. Let's all stand together. I'm going to pray Psalm 85 over us today. Restore us again, O God of our salvation, and put away your indignation towards us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your steadfast love, O Lord and grant us your salvation. Let me hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people, to his saints, and let them not turn back to folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him. The glory may dwell in our land. Steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs up from the ground, and righteousness looks down from the sky. Yes, the Lord will give what is good, and our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before him and make his footsteps away. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that you will increase our faith through it. Lord, we long for more of you. Please come and change us. Change us, Lord. Help us to be what you want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing a song or two, or however many, and uh, all altars are open. I'm not going to twist your arm or any of those things. If God is dealing with you, man, I encourage you to come down here because this is a place where God wants to meet with you. Uh, if you don't feel comfortable with that, you need somebody to pray with you, I'm going to be standing right here. If you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are, you are not living. You are living. Le- you're, you're just. The Bible says you're spiritually dead. If you want to know life, then you need to know Jesus. So please come and talk to me if you're far from him. And I'll tell you about your next steps, and I'll pray with you. As we sing this song, come.